Hello, everyone. I'm Elena Armijo, and I'm the founder of the C-Suite Collective. This is a company I created for executive leadership coaching and wellness that supports C-Suite executives, entrepreneurs, and founders. We support modern companies committed to fostering diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, holistic organizational growth, and generational impact for years to come. Now, more than ever, businesses are running faster and with fewer resources. Burnout, overwhelm, disconnection, and disillusionment are the new norm for teams struggling with an old paradigm. At the C-Suite Collective, we believe deeply that providing massive support for your teams through executive coaching and holistic practices will create an inclusive culture, higher levels of performance, sustainable change, and the organizational impact you desire. You can find us at the c-suitecollective.com. What does it take to move out of a binary conversation as a leader? We'll look at that in our coaching tip for the week. And today in our interview segment, we have Namsa Kalfani and Amy Moy, who are co-CEOs of Essential Access Health, which is a company that has a long-standing commitment to making access to high-quality, comprehensive sexual and reproductive health services and information a reality for everyone. I hope you enjoy the episode today and remember... Something powerful resides within you. I'm here to support you in seeing it and creating it. What does it take to move out of a binary conversation as a leader? For those of you that don't know, in my coaching practice, we talk a lot about binary conversations, which really means there's side A and side B of a conversation. This can look like two people that are in an argument or two ideologies that are at stake, or two big events that are happening that people don't agree on. And the problem with binary conversations is that there is always somebody who wins and somebody who loses. Or we see that both sides actually lose in the conversation because one is being right and one is being wrong. So there's four steps here that I'd like you to think about if you want to get out of a binary conversation with someone and moving towards neutral ground. The first thing is having an open mindset. So here, it's all about recognizing the limitations of binary thinking and that there's a value of complexity in decision-making. So when we look at something as many different issues and multifaceted, you can start to open up the conversation out of one solid way. So this is the idea of opening up the conversation to expand it and create a different mindset that you might not already see. The second step is active listening. So I really work with my people to develop strong listening skills. So this is the opportunity to pay really close attention to what others are saying without immediately categorizing their ideas as right or wrong. This is also a space to really practice listening to understand instead of listening to respond. The third step, empathy. Practice empathy by trying to understand a different perspective. And also thinking about the underlying motivations and emotions of the people that you're communicating with. Sometimes this is really, really hard because we can feel empathy for someone, but we still believe that we're right in our values or our view, which is not necessarily untrue. But empathy comes when you can actually sit with someone and hold them in whatever they're feeling without having a judgment about it. Can you be empathetic 
and still be able to be with that person instead of having your view override empathy. And the last step is look for a resolution outside of either side. So I often like to think of a football field in that one end where where one team is scoring is conversation A and the other end is conversation B. And oftentimes we'll be looking at the entire game on this football field within the realm of the field. And sometimes I'll invite my clients to play a different game entirely. So what if we left the football field and we went to, I don't know, a volleyball court or a soccer field? Now, admittedly, there are two sides on those courts as well, but the difference is that we're playing a completely different game, that we might actually have more generation of ideas and neutral ground inside of the game that we were originally playing. So look for a resolution and step outside of the two conversations into something that might be a completely different conversation than you could have ever imagined. And usually that takes multiple people and multiple brains coming up with that solution. Um, ladies, Namsan, Amy, I am so grateful for your time today. Uh, just so everyone knows, we are meeting for the very first time on this podcast and we were connected through one of my coaches, uh, Catherine Folks Sullivan, and I am so excited to be with you. I've been hearing all about the good work you're doing in the world, your new style of leadership, co-CEOs, which even just saying that is like radical in the world. So I just, I'm so honored that you would be here and you'd share some of your wisdom and your gold. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for having thank us. For yeah, having- and it's wonderful to be connected with like-minded folks uh, to be able to talk about how we're making shifts and uh, exploring new ways of leading and being and and having impact. So good to be with you. Awesome. Well, where I always like to start is your story. So how do you two know each other? And maybe we can can hear how this was all born. So Namsa, do you want to go first and share how you know Amy and how you got in this? Sure. Um, I know Amy for the last nine, uh, almost 10, it'll be 10 years in March. Can you believe wow. it? Because we've been working together. Um, I joined the organization Central Access Health after Amy did. Amy um, joined prior to my start. And I think she had a, a large impact on how we I guess, you know, how we became more visible on the policy side and around our communications. And so I had the opportunity to join the organization where I think she started to really kind of uh, lead the way. Lots of sexual and reproductive um, initiatives, policies, uh, community engagement. And so we've been partnering um, in the C-suite for quite some time and then having the opportunity last September to actually uh, transform our organization together as co-leaders. And so it's been, you know, we're not strangers to each other. So it's, um, I think that also helped in our transition is that we weren't two strangers joining an organization for the first time. We knew each other. Um, and I think in this new role, we've become even closer. I think we realize we are closer than we probably realized we were prior to um, the transition and just the synergy that exists. She is the the yang to my yin. And I think it just, you know, we are different, but have so much in common. And I think just bring so much mm. to leading an organization together. Mm. Beautiful. Amy, what's your side? Well, thanks for that, Nomsen. Uh, you know, 
plus one. I, I did start uh, at our organization, Essential Access Health, a couple of years before Nomsa did. And what a gift her, her coming to Essential Access was for our organization, um, both bringing her expertise in operations and program leadership and just her lived experience as a as a fierce baddie, you know, like just making things happen <laughs> and showing up authentically, showing up um, in a way that helps other f- people feel seen and heard. And so really appreciated working side by side with Nomsa, as she mentioned, for many years in the C-suite. And then when there was an opportunity to have a leadership transformation and transition at our organization, I think um, our board thought, oh, there's not really a need to look any further. We have two leaders that have been partnering to co-lead in the C-suite, the organization, and help move it forward and um, and drive impact for many years. And with our, I think, complementary skills, as well as our deep mutual respect and shared intentionality and alignment around a vision for shaping the future of not only sexual reproductive health rights and justice, but shaping the future of what an organization that's a nonprofit in this space could look like and feel like for the people who work there. Mm. And what a gift that your board could see that and say, number one, we've got them here. We've got these rock stars. We want to empower them. And it just speaks to the level of partnership already between your board and the two of you. Very cool. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I mean, because our board could have been like many other organizations, many other nonprofits that think after a transition, you need to bring someone externally into a process. Mm-hmm. Um, or to the organization. And so I think that their choice and appointing us as co-CEOs was a testament to what we have been bringing already to the work um, and to the organization, how they viewed us. I think there was a trust between um, the board and us already, right? And then I think it just was a acknowledgement of the work that we had already been doing for the organization, relationships already built with the board, and I think a, a challenge, right, to even think about leadership differently. I think, you know, not all folks understand um, or believe that two people or three, you know, can lead an organization. It's the question of well, who's really leading the organization, who's really making the, the final decisions. And like we have been able to demonstrate that it can be done. And that we are each other's sounding board. We're not in this alone. And I think it just helps the overall goal of really uh, being in this space from the inside out and us really focusing on staff, ourselves, and what does it mean to really walk the walk. So if we say we are really going to focus on strategies to uh, fight against Um, anti-racism, what does that look like, right? And how does that now get played out in a different time in that um, when we think about um, equity and inclusion, you know, those are the the strategies to get us to a different place, right? When we think about our policies, how we engage with each other internally, then how does that translate externally? And we get to really model that, right, Mm -hmm. in a nonprofit and together um, as two women that are committed to this work, 
and really want to see something different going forward. That's so beautiful. And I'm, I'm looking forward to digging more into your leadership perspective and your new ways of thinking uh, as you as you run this organization. And I'm sitting there trying to imagine the conversation when the board was like, hey, we're going to do co-CEOs. And I'm wondering, like, what was the, the feeling inside of you two as you heard that request? Like, what did it bring up in you? I think for me, it brought up excitement and possibility that for me personally, and and Noms and I have talked a lot about this, um, I couldn't imagine being on this journey with anyone else. I also, frankly, uh, couldn't imagine being on this journey alone. And so when the board talked about the co-CEO model for me personally as the first time anything with CEO in it, right? Uh, whether it's <laughs> yeah. solo or solo, it's it, as a first experience, it's such a gift to have, as Noam said, like a partner in that space. And so when the opportunity came to reimagine and redesign what leadership could look like at our organization and thinking about the co-CEO leadership model and what those possibilities could bring, not only in terms of impact, right, with two partners being able to um, have our complementary skills to, you know, get the job done, but it's like how we get it done and how we can show up for each other. Um, you know, when we, we have been talking with a lot of colleagues from across the country who are, you know, interested in, you know, what's possible moving forward and talking about kind of the, the loneliness of, of being a, a CEO and Nomsa and I were kind of like, you know, looking at each other and smiling, <laughs> you know, like, oh, it feels yeah. so good not to be lonely because we have each other. Yeah, I mean, I was actually just having a conversation with a colleague last night who was like, can you share some of the experience or what was the, the board thinking? And not that we have all the inside in terms of what the board was thinking, but I think what came up for me was also um, trust, mm -hmm. um, that there was trust that they um, had in us and that I th also the recognition of really seeing who we are and that they've been seeing us as leaders over the time that we've been with the organization. So that was exciting. And then I also would add, I think, similar to what Amy said, just the opportunity to jump into, I'm one of those people that likes to jump into new situations, roll up my sleeves, figure out how do we change it. Um, and so it was, I think there's this excitement about being able to transform an organization during a really difficult time when we think about the work that we do, right? And so it is helping keep things together after a trans a, a leadership change, right? It is then Amy and I really looking at each other differently and how we want to lead going forward. And then what is that message that then goes down to um, the rest of our staff? I think having co-leaders opens up the opportunities for your staff underneath you, right? Mm -hmm. it, it could provide opportunities for folks to promote up, but then also expand opportunities and what does it mean to lead? I think Amy and I both have different styles, but when you bring those together, I think it it adds this extra kind of component to what does it mean to challenge each other? Um, what does it mean to think about leadership 
and not feel like everything is on one person's shoulders, but that we pick up for each other when needed to, whether it is one of us just needs to take a breather and step away from the work um, or us coming together really deeply to think about what's happening. What do we need to do differently? What do we need to support us in moving that forward? And then how do we also create space for staff to feel free, right, to share with us? You know, we've been in our roles for about a year now. And, you know, I think progress has been made and we still have lots of more work to do. But I think we've been able to kind of set a new foundation um, for ourselves and for others. And I think the more we get to talk about what it means to to share responsibility, um, to not feel alone, because I still hear those conversations quite often from other friends who are in um, leadership roles. It is about that loneliness and feeling like, you know, and even if you might be in a space with other CEOs or EDs, there's things that you don't want to share with them, right? And so being able to have a partner in the space, then it's like, it's not like we're trying to pretend, Um There were not, it's not that we are like, well, let me, you know, limit or censor how much I share. We already know what's going on. (laughs) So it's not like we have to, you know, create those and, you know, create those, you know, those kind of guardrails because we are in that space together, the good, bad, and the ugly. And it's like, then how do we figure it out together um, and support each other throughout that process? Oh my gosh. What a gift, ladies, because uh, the thing I want to highlight that I'm hearing, which is super cool. Um, through the lens of doing things differently and a new style of leadership is that you're you're even modeling in real time, not doing it alone. Well-being practices that that have you taking care of yourself in a deeper way when in the old model, or we'll call it the old paradigm, everything was on your shoulders and alone and siloed. And so there wasn't a lot of opportunity for well-being care, but also to model it for the rest of your organization. So I just really, I think that's such a beautiful place to even start is with your co-leadership, what it's modeling in real time. So congratulations to that. I'd love to know more about your new perspectives. So at the C-Suite Collective, we are all about creating a new paradigm of leadership and a new way of doing things through the lens of inclusion and belonging. And one of our core beliefs in our value system is that inclusion and belonging is thread through every single conversation every tool, every strategy session, that it is not separate or a separate branch, but it is literally thread throughout our fabric. And so I'd love to just hear what are some of the perspectives you're working with as you shift the way leadership has been done in the world? So I can start by sharing, you know, one of uh, an important journey that Gnomes and I have worked with our staff and board around over the last year is developing a really intentional set of core values. And one of the core values that uh, we've landed on is promoting community health. And of course, we mean that when it comes to the the well-being and sexual and reproductive health of the communities that um, that our programs, uh, you know, and partners work with, but also internally. And so it's really important for us in terms of a shift in leadership to really foster an environment where everyone can be their authentic selves and live their purpose and embrace their fullest expression. We want mm. to, you know, 
uh, Nomsa and I have talked and I've shared this story frequently that, you know, I have something on my desk that says, what's your biggest accomplishment? And, you know, I think an old paradigm would be like very proud of the last year about these new programs we've brought to the organization, this new funding. Um, but when we shared our core values for the first time in draft form with staff, asked folks how they felt and what what these core values brought up for them and inviting them in this world to put it in the chat because we were having a virtual meeting. And the first word that came up was safe. And mm. when I think about what is that question, what's your biggest accomplishment, was that even if it was just one person and hopefully that sentiment and that feeling was beyond that one person, but even with one person saying that something in their workplace and work environment made them feel safe is also just, you know, what I would view as one of our biggest accomplishments over the last year. Um, I think another thing that, you know, and I can share personally, of course, my my leadership um, and my personal evolution is conti continues, right? We are not, um, I could, I'm not going to say that because I've been a co-CEO for one year, like I, I've got it all down, right? It's an ongoing process of continued learning. I um, mean, one of the things in the my kind of learning process is to try my best to unlearn the old paradigm of the grind culture mm. that mm -hmm. um, that that values and time checks and clocks, work hours, um, and really thinking about more trust and in, in valuing the the time and energy of our and and skill of our staff to get the work done but also recognize and also recognizing the importance and value of work-life balance and being able to restore and rejuvenate to be our best selves at work and in other parts of our lives and so trying to really think about how we create more space and time to pause for ourselves and staff um, is really also a part of the kind of the leadership shift. And, you know, for me personally, and, you know, we've talked about it together and with colleagues, this idea that's really, I think, becoming a revolutionary concept is this rest is resistance and mm -hmm. thinking about how we, um, have to model kind of rest for ourselves um, to be able to make that a possibility for for others um, because it's when we are rested and our best selves that we could do our best work and um, and and live our purpose in a more authentic way when we feel good. And I would just add, you know, I think COVID for me was a a blessing in disguise because I think it forced us. Well, it forced me. I will say to slow down, think about what's really important and, and how I really want to invest and use my time. Um, and rest was one of the things that became even more important during that, during COVID. Because we're working at home, we have to create these ways of still trying to do work and address all the other things that, that are part of our lives. And I think the more we do that with each other, the more we then do that with staff, you know, I think then it just changes how people see their work, how they want to work. And I think we've tried to create flexibility there. And also just trying to remind people that, you know, it's okay to slow down. 
down. Everything doesn't all have to be done today. You know, let's look at how do we move uh, move work, but allow people to still do the things that they have to do. And so pausing, having grace is really important. Slowing down, um, not really burning the candle to the end is important. And I think we have to do that, you know, and not to say that, it, you know, that we do a good job at it all the time. <laughs> um, you know, it's like we try, um, but I do appreciate uh, being able to say to Amy, you know what, I need to shut it down. I, you know, I need to regroup. I need, um, as Amy knows, I have committed to massages um, once a month. I've actually increased it to twice a month. But that is, you know, my thing that I need. And it helps me um, stay energized. And so the, just how we give that back to each other, but then the messaging of that to our staff, I think is very important. Because it is the, you know, productivity. I'm like, what does productivity even mean, right? Uh, what does that mean? Why should that be the thing to really gauge how well someone is what they're doing. And just because somebody is in an office in front of a computer doesn't mean they're actually doing your work. Right. Um, but so it's like, how do we just create a space where people can engage when they need to engage, go off when they need to tend to family or other things, or just give themselves a moment of pause and grace because life is life mm -hmm. and we need <laughs> to take those breathers and that's okay. You know, oh my I'll goodness. Just add one more thing that, you know, we, there's a lot of work to do, right? <laughs> and the work yeah. that we do, I believe, is critically important. And at this, yes. we can definitely, you know, something also that I've been contemplating and, and talking about, you know, where we can get caught up in the work, but what's our real job, right? Like we could get caught up in the work, what's our real job and what is our why, and I recently saw something posted by one of my favorite authors and, um, and you know, a wise woman that um, blessed the earth uh, at some point, um, rest in power for Toni Morrison, who, um, in addition to being, uh, you know, a beautiful author, was also a professor. And there's a quote that says, well, I tell my students, when you get these jobs that you've been so brilliantly trained for, just remember that your real job is that if you are free you need to free somebody else. And if you have some power, that your job is to empower somebody else. And so I take that very seriously. I've taken that to my heart to think about how am I on my best days, at least with intentionality, right? Am I showing up to my work with that job in mind, not only in terms of our interaction and work internally, but also thinking about like that that's the why behind our work and program and policy externally. Thank you both for sharing such tangible examples of what you're practicing and implementing. And I really also hear um, personally what your internal work has been and how that's shaping what you bring to your organization and then therefore shaping what you bring to the world in your stand. So I really just thank you for giving those specific examples. And I'm curious about the culture that it's creating for you all. And you've spoken to a little bit, especially the trust piece and the safety piece. I love those two tangible measurements because when I'm working with organizations to rebuild culture from the inside out, a lot of the questions I get are is how do we make this a business case as well? Right? Because traditionally, 
in DEIB spaces, it's been a human-based conversation of connection and love, which I'm all for. I still believe that's number one. And we're meeting people who are really looking for the business case of this. So I'm wondering if you've seen any tangible measurements for the business case. And when I mean business case inside your organization, I really mean the results that you see your people creating because of the work that you've instilled and the the values as you spoke to, or the new ways of thinking. Have you been able to track or measure any of that yet? And I know it's super new, so. It's still early, I would say in our process, but I think we, you know, from a recent survey we just did with our, with our staff, we're going in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think with our core values and with the things we are really trying to move forward, I feel good to say we're moving in the right direction. Mm -hmm. But that's not all, yeah. right? And I would say the biggest culture shift that will happen for our organization is really the action to those words, right? Mm-hmm. So it is the policies that we have in place that are clear, um, that are transparent, where folks really understand how they can promote in the organization. Um, what does it mean to really be coached by folks um, that are in uh, management positions or in the C-suite to really about kind of retention and how to expand their vision of themselves, right? Um, it is compensation, right? It's like really being able to pay folks at a rate that where they feel respected and valued, right? It is the benefits that you offer, not just your health and dental and vision, but like time off, you know, flexible schedules. We have, uh, we instituted this year um, work from home weeks, right? Where it's like you get, you know, we have a flexible schedule, folks come in twice a week, um, but where you get to work from home that week, not having to come in, but maybe that's the time to refresh and and kind of get things um, back in place. So we really want to put in matrix that really are able to show a, a shift in people really feeling respected and seen um, through compensation, through other benefits, through how we engage, right? Folks want opportunities to engage with each other. That's beyond just the work, but like, how do we engage where we are getting to know each other, right? And understand the lived experience and what all of us bring to the work because it's beyond your degree. It is uh, what you bring as a person to this work and how do you want to make sure that the organizations that we fund or do capacity building work, they're, they're actually meeting their clients and patients um, where they are, right? And seeing them completely. And I think the more we as leaders continue to evolve and grow, I think we'll start to notice um, shift and changes with our staff, right? Around Again, like Amy was saying, around safety, trust, transparency, how we are able to really, you know, uh, call each other in and out with love, um, depending on the situation, right? Where folks are not afraid to actually have a, you know, a a compassionate disagreement, Mm -hmm. but it is about understanding and respecting each other. Um, That I, I will know we have really done what was charged of us when we know everybody really feels like they are able to be a part of a process that changes the lives and shapes the future outside of what's happening in our organization, right? I want our policies 
that Amy leads and works on statewide that you know, actually our staff get to really reap the benefits of all her work, that we actually have policies that meet the needs of our staff, but also advance access for folks um, in the communities that we serve. Um, yeah, absolutely, Nomsa. And I would also say, you know, I think Elena, when you were saying earlier, like, oh, there's the heart and like, what's the, what's the business case, right? And I just want to also mm-hmm. kind of chat, like think, challenge us to think about what is, what are those, what are those metrics, right? Is it um, output, you know, is it outputs or, you know, the, the different pieces, you know, our staff has always, mm-hmm. since I've been there for, you know, over 10 years, uh, has always worked hard. We've done good work right? What is, how do you measure the impact of a shift in organizational culture? The, what, and what is the value, what, what, what are, with the shift in culture, what are the right questions that we're going to be asking to see if we are actually making the, the shifts that we are intending? And I do think it is around some of those things that, that Nomsa mentioned, you know, our business case is retention. Our business case is in asking questions to staff and getting feedback on, do they feel like their work is valued? Can they show up as their authentic selves? Would they recommend our org- working at our organization to other folks? Um, and so I think that those are some of the, the keys that we'll be looking at as part of like the success metrics and, and how that also informs our performance review. You know, what, what, what are we actually reviewing and evaluating? Is it productivity anywhere? You know, like what are the right questions at this time? Um, and how do we um, show, you know, a, a core value is accountability and transparency. And so we want to make sure that we have systems in place to be looking at, are we, are we walking the walk? Are we, um, are we being authentic to these values? And how are we moving the needle in the right direction? So beautiful. Can I, yeah. can I just add one other, you know, just one other thing? We don't make widgets, <laughs> right? We actually yeah. move policy, yeah. research. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we provide, you know, capacity building. So I think as an organization, what how we define success probably is going to look very different than what maybe other folks are looking at, right? And I think, you know, we had paid a lot of attention on how many people we trained or, mm-hmm. you know, how many folks touched or are participated in an action. And all of those things are important. But if I think about leadership and how we move things forward, for me, it is really about the people. Amy and I don't get to do having these conversations, right? Or, or really being out in the field if our staff don't have the resources, the empowerment to actually then do the actual work, mm-hmm. right? It's like, you know, because they are the ones that are moving our programs forward. They are the ones who are educating and helping health centers and other organizations adjust how they engage with patients that are walking through their door. So when we say no wrong door, it is the work of not just us, but of our staff. And so that's the piece for me when I think of leading differently is the focus on the people, our staff, because they actually allow us to actually do and move the needle even further. Yeah, thank you. Because what I really hear from what you're sharing is that the the business case for you all is when a when a employee, I'll, I'll just say an employee. There's probably many different levels in your organization. 
is fully sourced using rest as a radical, uh, you know, uh, active resistance. Um, their heart is full. And when I say heart is full, I mean, they're clearly aligned with your mission and vision and your values, and they see themselves in it. There's a longevity and a deep connection to the mission and vision that then fuels them to go out and produce what they're producing. And what a, what an amazing measurement, right? In a time, especially a world when people are uh, quitting because they have no connection to, to the company or they're not being heard or they feel like they are burned out. Amy, you've talked a lot about that, right? Like the grind and the burnout culture that is having people just say, I can't do this anymore from a human being in a soul level. So I really hear that that's, that's the, what's emerging for you all in your metrics, which is really, really incredible work. So thank you for what you're doing. I have two more questions for you. This one is not probably the fun one, but for leaders that are listening to this out there, I always like to just say, we, we talk a lot about what's going well, and I'd love for you to share some of the challenges that you would invite other leaders to look out for, or be maybe not even look out for, but expect and welcome for leaders that are in the world that are trying this new method that you all are trying, right? Because this is the this is the other side of the coin is we can, I, I think we talk a lot about what's going well and not everybody's super transparent around what's not going well. And would you be willing to share some of those challenges that you invite other people to, to be aware of? Asking the questions and not being afraid of the answer. <laughs> I think a lot of times, you know, we make commitments and say we're going to do something, um, but then really don't want to hear everything, mm -hmm. right? We want to keep everything in these pretty boxes with a bow. But if you're truly trying to change the culture of an organization, you got to take it all. You got to take the good, bad, and the ugly. You got to be able to step back and even feedback that you might think is, no, that's not me. Someone has said it. Someone may feel something about it. You then have to just take a step back to think about, okay, if this person felt that way, is there something for me to rethink? Is there something for me to maybe do a little differently? doesn't mean you need to change everything, but it is. I think it is really important of some self-reflection, right? Some really just uh, taking in that information for what it is, and then what do I need to do, if any, to think about that differently? I think that's, that, that's something that is hard for leaders for some leaders to actually do. And it's, there's this drive for perfection. I am not striving for perfection, um, you know, flaws and all, um, and realizing that everything is an evolution. And if we're not open to learn, to hear, to listen, sometimes it's not that we need to say anything. It's really, we just need to listen and then figure out how we move something forward. And be and be okay with that, right? Be okay with the things that are uncomfortable. Um, be okay with hearing something different about yourself. But I think it's what's important. The take the important takeaway is then what do we do with that information? Mm. Uh, and it shouldn't be that we then make somebody else feel bad about it, because otherwise it's like then why are we doing this? Mm -hmm. um, and I want to be the leader that can hear it. And then work with, whether it's my coach or whether it's with Amy or with it just with myself, working with what I hear. You know, I have practices that I've put in place as a leader that, you know, I'm starting to, to rethink, right? And are those really good practices? Uh, 
I was told earlier on in the career in my career that you know you need to create certain boundaries with folks that report to you or report to folks up. And so and I'm also, you know, a therapist. So it's like you think about disclosure. You only disclose things that actually make sense or can move something forward. But if you're really wanting to relate to people and understand, I think there's sometimes there's some layers of those boundaries that need to come down because then I think sometimes people feel like you're not approachable or they're not sure how you might respond to something and we all make mistakes. Um, But then how do we learn from that? And so I'm really, I'm 54. I'm really trying to live my purpose and do well um, and, you know, and take the bumps, but realizing that I'm a work in progress, I will continue to be a work in progress and open to feedback that, actually allows me to grow, right? And I think leaders need to do that. We need to do that more often. We need to circle back when we've made a mistake to staff, right? And create those spaces. Because then they see you, they see the human side of you, right? Mm -hmm. They don't, they see you as just another human being like them trying to figure it out, um, but open to figuring it out together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, similarly, I was thinking what initially came up for me was, you know, Leadership is not about the destination. It's about the journey. And, you know, it is, and also being okay that sometimes, you know, I have kind of traditionally in the past been like results oriented, right? And that helped me get to where I am. But, you know, another thing that I've been thinking about today is like, what got us here won't get us there. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and so what are some of the strategies that I also have to continue to um, unlearn or work on to be able to be an effective co-CEO in this new time? I think that, you know, as Nomsa said, our COVID over the last few years, we've had a national reckoning that for many was not new, but had become part of our more of a mainstream conversation with brands and organizations across the board, including ours, having to have a reckoning with our uh, history of racism and white supremacy in this country. And how does that still show up in our work cultures and, and leadership? And how do we continue to work on it? And one of those for me is that you know, kind of trying to unlearn and look at like, oh, we we think we have to go to point A to point B. And sometimes we just have to realize whether we like it or not, it's whether it's in our control or not, that sometimes there's a loop-de-loop in the middle of point A to point B because there's, there's some things that we can control and not control. But what we can control is, as Nomsa said, how we react to that, how we learn from that, and how there's... Um, we can create and generate more safety and comfort to a little bit of a world that um, might be unexpected because that's just part of the way it goes. And, you know, we we have to kind of imagine that while we, we want to loosen on this kind of culture of perfectionism, that also things won't go perfectly. <laughs> and so yeah. <laughs> how do we react to that? And, you know, I just do want to shout out Elena, you and, and the coaches that I think are working with leaders these days to work on this cultural transformation, because while we're trying to do the work internally and, you know, we could think about our work and organization working towards social justice, I think that having these conversations with leaders and working with leaders to reimagine leadership is changing the world and it's changing our work culture. It's going to change the impact of 
of how we do our work, um, you know, and, and really, again, thinking about if our work has to be community informed our, to have impact, right? I think we're starting to realize that from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services that we partner with to, you know, our partner organizations realize that for our work to be effective, it has to be community informed. Why wouldn't it be important to have our work community need to inform how we work and how we do business also be important, right? And so that those are Mm -hmm. some of the things also that we're kind of continuing to be a work in progress around. Beautiful work, ladies. This is also inspiring. Thank you so, so much for sharing your vision and your heart. And I have, I like to ask everyone one question on their way out and you know, you can tailor the question to either your organization or the people you're impacting by your work in the world. But if you had one thing to say to the world um, as we lead into really the next year, even 2024, what would you, what would be your banner that you would shout or <laughs> shout through a microphone with or hold the banner across? What would you say to people? Well, I'm. it's leading me back to Essential Access Health's new core values and thinking about where we are now, and particularly as we look to 2024 and what that might mean for the future direction of this country is how essential it is to respect and actively protect the fundamental rights to bodily autonomy, self-determination, and the ability to live freely with human dignity. Mm. inside and outside and um, in our internal and external policies. And um, we cannot work toward freedom and we cannot be free until we have the freedom to control our own bodies. And that if we feel we have to, in order to work toward that, um, folks have to feel free and safe in doing that work as well. That's a good one. Good one. I think, yeah, it's a good one. Uh, I think it's been probably a more uh, personal focus um, and uh, really looking at and realizing that um, until everybody is free, no one is free. And I feel like that is my purpose in the work of whenever I am in a space I am not the voice of all Black women, but I want to lift as many voices as I can. I want to be um, in a space to really just lit, uplift as many folks or populations or groups that I can in the power that I have and in the circumstances that I have to really make sure that I lift or share things that are important to move the needle forward, to move, uh, to change outcomes. Um, I feel a responsibility to improve the outcomes for as many folks as I can. And if that is um, through my own personal uh, work with individuals that may reach out that want some coaching or support, um, how I lead, right? Um, And how Amy and I support really the future of this work going forward. You know, we lead an organization with a mixed age group, but many of them will be picking up the torch. I want to pass the torch to many of them, right? Um, And so that's what 
that's what's important to me is really to that this is not all for me to solve, but it is for me to plant the seeds that hopefully in you know some years I get to sit back and look at the blossom. That's what that's my kind of I think that's what drives me. That's my purpose. And um, I think that's what I was designed to do. Mm. Oh, my goodness, ladies. Thank you. Thank you so much. I, uh, I just thank you for being warriors of light and love and justice in the world. Thank you for being pioneers. I, I truly am getting from this conversation how on the forefront of this new way of leading you are. Uh, So thanks for going first. That takes a lot of courage, tremendous courage and tremendous wisdom and patience. So thank you so much for the work you're doing in the world. And thank you for being here. Thank you for the conversation. Thank you.